You're listening to Your Rivers Are Wrong, the podcast. My name is Merle. I'm here with my good friend Dante, and we're here to build worlds and tell their stories. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Good morning, or evening, or afternoon, whenever you may be. Welcome back to season three of the Your Rivers Are Wrong podcast. Yes, I'm one of your hosts. My name. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Dante, <laughs> and I'm the other one. And my name is Marilyn. And we're here, as we are every week, to talk about the wonderful whimsies of world building, the arts and aesthetics of setting up a setting, and telling stories born from it. Hey. It's good to be back. It's so good, good to, to be, be back. back. We were trying to figure out like how we're doing this usually, like how recording a podcast works. And I think we're doing pretty good so far, Dante. <laughs> I think we're doing pretty good too. I never mind the setup that it took to get us back in the groove. <laughs> they don't know about that. Don't tell them that. <laughs> they don't. And, and they'll never know. Nope. <laughs> secret dies with us. <laughs> As with every episode, we're going to discuss two topics that each of us have brought to the table. I bring one. Merle brings one, and then we talk about a prompt at the very end. But before that, let's catch up a little bit. What's been the goings on in our lives in the last couple of weeks that mm-hmm. we've been away? We need like a solid catch up by now. You know, it's been a while. Oh, I mean, it's been a good solid. Yeah, it's been a minute. Yeah. And rightfully so, you know. Yeah. I think we should talk about the most pertinent thing, which affects this podcast and I guess the episodes following. Um, do I just say it? I guess I just say it. Yeah. Right? Do it. Yeah. For the first time. In drum my roll. life, at least. <laughs> I, I can't drum roll. I'm not going to edit in the drum roll. Maybe I will. Let's do that. Uh, <laughs> but for the first time ever, we're going to be recording an episode live. Yes, we are. I'm so excited. It's going to be so great, Dante. And people are like, wait, you don't have to record episodes live? The thing is, if this is the first time <laughs> you're tuning in, I live all the way in, in New York City over in the US. Yeah, different universe. Yeah. <laughs> Marilyn, where are you at? I am in the Netherlands, which is like a yes. good sea, like a good ocean away. <laughs> like a six hour difference away, basically. Exactly, exactly. And we usually uh, record these podcasts over voice chat because obviously that's the most reasonable way to do it. Mm-hmm. But this time, this week, what before <laughs> the week we're recording this, <laughs> I'm going to be flying all the way to the Netherlands to visit Europe yes. and to visit Merle. And we're going to record an episode face to face for the first time ever. We're going to be like able to look at each other while we're talking. <laughs> so, we're going so to be able to like interrupt each other without <laughs> delay, Dante. Do you realize what exactly. this means? Exactly. <laughs> We will the be power. the most fluent ever. No, I'm not going to like manifest that because it won't be. <laughs> yeah, we have no idea what it's going to sound like. Maybe it's going to be <laughs> like a disaster, quality. but at least we're able to try. <laughs> it's oh, great. it's going to be so exciting. It's, yeah. And it's, of course, for the people who don't know us, it's literally the first time we're going to be meeting in person. Yeah. So going to be. Which is so wild crazy. in itself, you know, but yes. Mm-hmm. Perfect, perfect opportunity. <laughs> so by the time I think I timetabled this right, by the time this episode drops, by the time you guys get to listen to this, I will have already experienced Europe. <laughs> you already know what it's like. <laughs> Listening to myself having not experienced Europe. So it's going to be a little bit wild. Uh, that's the world we live in. That's the exciting news for season three. The first ever unprecedented live episode of two people who uh, have lived across the world for the entirety of our friendship. <laughs> yes. So, very exciting. This is a great very premise. Cool. I think usually it's also the other way around. Like normally people meet live and then they go away for a second and <laughs> you know the whole hassle is that you have to do it online and things are difficult and maybe we're like in the best position here actually now that I think about it. You know? Yeah. I mean t- absolutely. Yeah. Uh, they were 
We've been we've decided to record six hours apart for the last almost year now, which is crazy. And we've kind of made it work. Yeah, Re- we're so recording good at it now. in person. No delay will be something else. Yes, for I, sure. I love how we can say, we can say this, and then in two weeks we'll be like, we met in person and we hated it. it was <laughs> what if we hate each other in real life? <laughs> I mean, you know, it could happen, whatever. Yeah, end of podcast, yeah. (laughs) But wait, I still need to edit this, so let's let's finish. You know, not jinxing anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Got it, got it. All right. Um, That's the recent news. I could update uh, y'all on other stuff, but I feel like that's the most pertinent. Uh, And I don't want to take too much time talking about something I haven't done yet, um, (laughs) which is uh, still at the forefront of my mind. Uh, anything from you? Um, well, maybe a tiny update just because I'm so excited about it. I'm also going to be traveling in the beginning of October for my studies that I'm doing. Because for the uninitiated, I have a master's program that I'm part of that is illustration mm-hmm, and it's completely mm-hmm. remote because, you know, I've been really good at <laughs> remote friendships lately. <laughs> <laughs> and they're hosting a face to face event in Cambridge in the UK, which is great. So oh, awesome. Usually traveling takes a bit of time for me to get used to. Like, I'm not super spontaneous in that regard i need to like pass a certain threshold before i decide that mm-hmm. i'm that i travel anywhere <laughs> but this has been like the perfect situation for me to like actually do it because it's going to be really nice and i think this is the last year of my studies and they're just doing one oh, face-to-face so event per year so um that's going to be really fun so i was also looking into airbnbs and stuff so i really of understand course. this excitement that you have <laughs> about the travel because I was like hey I understand this now I know what this feels like when you have to like organize everything and have plans and stuff it's great Mm -hmm. yeah like you know because I told you we I've been prepping for this trip since May and (laughs) if no if people listening this is this podcast is happening in September so four (laughs) I've been I've been prepping for four months to make sure this trip goes off without a hitch (laughs) and I'm just a ball of stress today I'm just really like bundled up tight it's the first time you're traveling alone did I remember that right First solo trip, yeah. first trip, and awesome. not to my family's home country. Yeah. So, crazy. Gonna be wild. I love it. It is. It is. It is. Since this is like the first episode of season three, let's, can we do like a little bit of an intro for who we are? Because oh. this might be the first time people are listening in. That's actually a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's step through that real quick. I'll start, I guess. Sure. Uh, my name is Dante. I am a, <laughs> hi, <laughs> I'm <Dante>. a podcaster. <laughs> hi, hi. Uh, I'm based in New York. I run a lot of D&D stuff, which includes a good number of campaigns among my friends, mm-hmm. as well as a YouTube channel called The Wintry Wyvern, a, aka Wintry D&D, where I cover a whole lot of D&D content as it comes out. Uh, really, really into all the world building stuff. That is kind of my main focus and also, you know, the technical aspect of running a story. Mm all the numbers behind it, but also just the love of storytelling in itself. Yeah. Perfect uh, match for know. what we're doing here. Yeah. And how about you? Yeah. So my name is Marilla, as you've already heard in the beginning. So I'm in the Netherlands and I'm doing a bunch of things. <laughs> I graduated <laughs> from graphic design, so I'm freelancing as a graphic designer every now and then. I'm also working at a local literature festival here part-time, and then I'm also studying a master's degree in illustration, because, you know, why not? <laughs> it's great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Learning is great. And doing this wonderful podcast with my good old friend Dante. Also, I guess very similar in the regard of anything story-related, art-related, is kind of up my alley. So, you know, wh- whatever medium that works in doesn't really matter. If it's a great story, I'm probably, like, in for it, so... That's the main reason for us finding each other in this podcast the way we did. Yeah. And then also, Dante and I met in the D&D group that we're still part of. Yes. For like Mm -hmm. a good bunch of years now. 
It's been three exciting. and a half now. Yeah. Which is crazy. Also online, yeah. by the way. So, you know, yeah, there's a theme going on here. Online. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> it's been a bit of a wild ride, but both of us are both uh, enthusiasts about putting together worlds that we're really excited to talk about and all the little nuances and details yeah. about it. And with that said, with that put together, uh, how about we jump into our topics? Sounds good. All right. Again, we each bring a topic. I bring one that Marilee hasn't heard about yet, and Marilee brings one that I haven't heard about mm-hmm. yet. A little bit of a surprise for each of us. Uh, the thing that I wanted to talk about is a topic that I have a good amount of experience with, I would say. Okay, okay. It's a little bit uh, unconventional for a lot of people in the D&D sphere, but I feel like it's worth a good conversation. And this is the concept of West Marches. Oh. Have you heard about West Marches before? I've heard of this, but only from you. <laughs> so I think <laughs> it's great to you know dive into this so that I also understand it more. That's amazing. Great. Yeah, exactly. For people, so I can so I can get uh, get this going right along. Mm-hmm. We play a lot of D anD D, which is Dungeons and Dragons, which is a tabletop role playing game. Yes, which means that you uh, and your friends gather on the table and collaborate to tell a story together. Meaning that there are characters, there's a setting, there's a plot, situations that you guys roll dice and work together to make it through. Improv together, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I would say that most of our listeners have a basic idea, a good grasp of what D&D is. Mm. Uh, Usually it's like four to six people at a table and they're all uh, working together to make a story. And there's usually one dungeon master who puts it all together. But what if there were more than one? (laughs) What if there were two dungeon masters? Or three. Hmm. And what if you had more than just four players? What if you had six, ten, maybe thirty? I mean, well, Jesus, that's, that's a lot. Is it lot still D and D? Is the big question. The idea of West Marches and the West Marches is the name of the game that first tried this concept, or at least first popularized it. The original West Marches was, uh, as it says, a journey to the West, where a number of players are working together to travel for safe pasture, for adventure, Hmm. uh, for purpose, whatever the purpose may be for each of those characters. The thing about it was, was that not all the players had the same work schedule. It's like, oh, I'm busy on Tuesdays. Oh, I'm busy on weekday nights. Oh, my weekends are all full. It was impossible to coordinate when everyone could meet for the story. Who could be available, basically. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the way around that was that they gathered a good amount of people, which was, uh, I I don't remember the original number, but it was definitely more than the typical table. Let's see. Around 10 to 14 people, I'm reading, was the original number. And anyone who's tried to run a game of 10 to 14 people knows it's impossible to maintain everybody's intention at once. That's a huge table. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty big. Yeah. How are you going to have everybody be actively involved? So the players inform the dungeon master when they're available. So they put their availability on a table and they say, hey, I can play these days. Can anyone else play on these days? And the days that a good number of people are available, say four to six, there would be a dungeon master who is also available at that time, ready to run a session during that hour. And more than one session would happen per week because everybody was meeting at different times. Hmm. Now, you might say, well, that's just two different adventures, but it's not as simple. You can mix and match the people. Some people can be present for like a Tuesday session and some people, maybe not the same people, but some of them could be available on a Friday session. And stories are told between these two sessions and that continues. Maybe Mm. there's a session run on Monday, a session run on Saturday. And all of these sessions are part of the same collaborated world. So they all take place in the same setting. That's cool. And all yeah. these stories play into the same narrative, so to speak. 
So I bring this up because this is a bit of an unconventional way to play D&D. Most people are used to their small group that they stick to every week Mm -hmm. and the schedules don't usually change unless there's a problem. But this is a unique solution to providing D&D not only for a greater amount of people upwards of 10 to 30 to even more so as i've seen before Mm -hmm. but also providing games for the game master Uh, the game masters are usually one of the ones who narrate the story and have to put everything together but what if they just want to play what if they just want to be a player and not have to think about the story well when you work with another game master when you work with multiples of them then you're allowed to be a player in their story and they can be a player in your story Uh. and still be working to the same collaborative narrative. Got it. And that is the core foundation of a West Marches. Dang. I have a few questions just to clarify. Yeah, fire away. Because you said originally West Marches was one setting or... Mm -hmm. But then you also said this is a specific way to play D&D. So... How does that match again? Right. So a West Marches was the original name of the original game that came up with this methodology or oh. popularized this methodology. Right. But now, no matter what your setting is, we refer to that style of game as a West Marches. Ah, okay. Understood. Yeah. It's a sort yeah. of genre or kind of way to play, I guess then, right? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And then so in your group, you have multiple game masters and multiple players and they can switch out roles as well. So you said a game master can also play in another game master's exactly story, I guess. So then what is the thing that ties everything together? Is it the setting? Because if it's still one collaborative story, then at least game masters should kind of know what each other's up to, right? To see kind of the big picture or how, however the story's developing. Exactly. Uh-huh. And that's kind of why I wanted to bring it up as a topic today in this podcast. We're all about world building. Uh, <laughs> we're all, we're, all, we're, all, <laughs> we're all about podcast, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> but um, I wanted to go into the unique processes of building a setting for a West Marches. Hmm. There's different steps to it than would normally be available with a dungeon master, with a singular dungeon master, right? They come up with everything, the setting, the history, the lineages, the kingdoms, the castles, yeah. all of that. Uh-huh. But if you plan to run a setting that will have more than one storyteller, then the setting has to be a collaborative effort. There will be multiple people contributing to the formation of this world, to the formation of this setting that you're creating. So, for example, because I should probably illustrate this. I have been part of a West March's server, or as we call it, a campaign server Mm -hmm. for probably close to, let me see, we started, I joined in 2019, but it's been running since 2018. So close to, uh, close to four years now. Oh, that's cool though. Yeah. And to start to keep that going, the original people who started the server had to make a setting. So they created a continent. They created a blank surface. They read out the history of the setting, the gods who worked on it. Everybody had a play for landmarks in that setting. Mm -hmm. And the most interesting about it was that you could choose your terrain or environment, depending on what kind of games you wanted to run. You could say, hey, Josh, you're going to be in charge of the Northeast. And I'm going to be writing about the South and then someone else takes the East. And you can fill that with whatever kind of setting or or communities or landscapes you want to facilitate the story that you want to tell in this setting. As long as we all stick to these core tenets of what builds this continent or what identifies this continent. Yeah. So you set up common parameters and then you can work around that whatever you personally want to do. 
Yeah, the one that I was working to spearhead, I said, hey, this is going to be a multiple island setting. There's not going to be a singular oh, landmass, right. but there's going to be like 10 to 12 different islands. Yeah. So I'm going to put these here. I'm going to throw some mountains on these, maybe some volcanoes <laughs> on these, maybe some like pools and lakes and forests on these. And then anyone who's willing to help run games in this setting, take an island and put whatever story you want on it. Hmm. And feel free to um, share those ideas, brainstorm it. If you have any questions about the setting, by all means, we have all the lore written down here of the history and we can always just tie them all together. It's almost as if you're writing the start of a book with many people, you know, Dang. everybody throws their stuff into a pot and we kind of make sure it's all cohesive. Yeah, that's so cool. Wow. Uh, that's such a great way to do it. Specifically, as far as I know about this, right? It specifically mm -hmm. tackles a bunch of things that are pretty hard to do in D&D. Like a big thing is the exhaustion of the DM because in dungeon mastering, you know, you right. need to have a lot of skills and also, well, I guess fair to say that it's a lot more work than being a player. Mm -hmm. Equally exciting and equally interesting and fun to be part of the game. But, you know, you're basically the god of the story. You're developing everything. You're making sure everyone is happy. It's also kind of running the group, right? So there's a lot of, of extra skills involved when being the dungeon master. And then also the famous schedules never align <laughs> problem in D&D <laughs> is exactly what you're tackling with Westmarch. Mm -hmm. Because usually it's really hard if you have, as you were saying, like D&D is very episodic, right? So you're kind of developing a story similar to like an endless TV series where you're just building yes. on whatever happened before. And then if suddenly a player is not around for one or two sessions, it's kind of weird in the story. And you always kind of need to fidget around to make it work in the narrative. It's a bit tricky to work around it. Of course. And if it's part of the game system or, yeah, whatever you want to call it, of the mechanic of how you do the game, that's not a problem anymore. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. You hit on something super interesting that you said, like, the one player has to be involved in everything. Uh, this kind of taps into the concept that one person realistically can't be involved in everything. You know, the world churns and changes mm. and yeah. your character might not be present for something really really important and you have to kind of tap into it as a player as just uh, a second-hand report when sessions happen on um, the server that i play on after it happens we write a session log we write uh, someone from the oh, session yeah. writes in character what they experienced what they saw what you should probably watch out for oh, if you go to cool. this region i love that it's kind of a logbook kind of feel yeah and we have a base city that everybody lives in so all your characters oh. exist in this specific town kind of as the hub for where we find missions to adventure outwards so to speak that's interesting because i was going to ask like how does it work in terms of the timeline of it because if i would be a player and then be available for one session and then unavailable for another session like, how do you find in the narrative ways to work with that? Because it's part of the game, but also the groups then constantly change. Like, are you all part of a yes. guild or is it like a very spontaneous, random, these people just happen to be upon each other outside of the game, you know, <laughs> yeah. part of the session and then just have this quest that they're going on for a sec? Or yeah, how does that work? Yeah, usually in these settings, we have some sort of guild or adventurers board that, so to speak, collects missions or tasks mm. for people to complete. Job board, and you can basically. look at it and yeah. be like, hey, yeah, you can look at it and be like, hey, I want to do that. Is anyone free to do that? And you work together to do so hmm. uh, on these sort of servers. Usually you can choose to be like, hey, I want to go on a one and done adventure. We're going to adventure forth, do this thing and come back at the very end. 
that makes sure that there's no uh, scheduling problems for everybody who's available. But you could also be like, hey, we're going to journey over to this misty fog and this will be a weekly session and we're going to be playing for four weeks. If you can commit to playing for four weeks in a row, you can be part of this story. And you sign up for that and you book a part of your schedule for the better part of a month. And then you can finish the story a little bit out of time with everybody else. We have a common phrase that is used all the time. Uh, that is time is a soup. Time is a weird soup. <laughs> nice. Uh, <laughs> that if you're away on a mission, you kind of resolve how long it takes after the story is done. Uh, and everybody else kind of progresses at a oh, normal right. daily pace. Yeah. Yeah. So you could be like, hey, I was away for checks clock like two weeks. Can we say that our character has been absent for the better part of maybe like uh, four days? Can mm. we say that we were away for four days? And we're like, yeah, that's fine. And we resolve it that way. Right. Yeah. yeah. I didn't realize like you could also, of course, be a part of multiple sessions. It doesn't just have to be a single adventure in like four hours always. It can also be like, are you free for the coming four weeks to play? Yeah, of yeah. course. It can be like a in between forever and you know just one time i guess yeah there's all kind yeah. of different ways to do it that's great sounds super yeah. flexible also yeah really nice yeah it's probably the one of the main ways i've been getting <laughs> dnd into my schedule uh, for the past three years because <laughs> i truly have a wild yeah i have a wild schedule that i can commit to too many weekly things right so whenever I, i'm working and i'm like and someone posts like hey we got it uh i want to run a session tuesday night is anyone free tuesday night and i'll check my schedule like hey I'm yeah, like it's super short term, that. basically. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, that sounds super efficient. Yeah. As as a quick aside, I'm part of this. I'm going to give a shout out to these people who have helped me Please world do. build yes. for the last three year. Um, <laughs> shout out to my friends in Lindria. That's the content continents or gatherings of continents that we've made over the last three years. It's a very close group of like 30 people um, who have come to know for a good while. Super cool. And we've run like hundreds of games amongst each other, either, <laughs> whether as a player and as a game master. And we all make sure that we all get to play D&D both as a player and as a storyteller. And things that have come out of those stories is wild. As And as you were <laughs> saying, like yes, you, you can commit to longer story forms, even in this large setting. For example, I, as a dungeon master, have trapped 10 people in a demi plane for the last <laughs> check, three months. Wow, that happened quickly. Real time? Yeah. Uh, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> So we've been we've been meeting every week for the summer right. to run through this place where they cannot return home before completing these certain tasks. Mm. And everybody back in the home server is more or less like, hey, where did they go? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, God. That's so interesting. I love it. Yeah. It lends itself to a different kind of story still in the same system of playing that we've always been so used to. Right. That the world doesn't revolve around four people. It revolves around (laughs) a whole community. And what everybody brings to that community shapes the direction of the world. They interact with something here and it affects something here. And everybody feels the impact. Yeah, that's super awesome. It's such an exciting way to to view putting a story together. And also the way I hear about it. It's not just about the fact that there's more players that are all part of a bigger thing, but also just what you were saying, like the fact that not just one person is quote unquote controlling the world. Mm-hmm. You know, D&D feels like 90% collaborative. And then this, you literally can't know what's going to happen on an island, you know, 20 kilometers away. Yeah, It feels like 100% collaborative in the way that you don't own the entire world or you don't own the sort of longer plot yeah. line. It's literally happening right in front of you, depending on whether people can play or whether people have ideas for a story or, uh, I guess, room on their undeveloped island. <laughs> yeah, that's super <laughs> exactly. awesome. Yeah, it sounds dope. Yeah, it, and, it, and it's so crazy to see how everybody reacts to everything. Uh, we 
multiple times in the over the years, we we would wake up like in real life to reports on a server of characters that died, of characters <gasps> oh. that are like deceased yeah, in, of on course. an adventure oh, last I didn't night. Think of that. And we're yeah. like, wait, what happened? And all of our characters get to react in character like, who? what happened to them? Where did oh, they go? Who, who was there? Why couldn't they stop this? Like we start to question those who were present. They have to be witnesses <laughs> to the entire community. Everybody, oh, we've, shit. we've That's held so like cool. murals and funerals <laughs> oh, for God, like wow. drastic losses. Wow. Um, it, 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 it's certainly a different experience. If anybody wants to try a West Marches, all you really need to do is have too many friends. Which, <laughs> <laughs> too many friends and too little time to play. Yeah, yeah who want, uh, too many people who want to play D&D. Um, start a Discord server, <laughs> put together channels where people, people can talk in character and text and put another channel saying schedules where you everybody puts their schedules and you coordinate when everybody's mm. free and that's all you need get a setting started get people who are looking forward to writing a story two or three people is all you really need to to start this west marches mm. and then a couple of players looking to play and that's it yeah that sounds awesome it's very fun and i would recommend it do you prefer the sort of weekly DD or do you prefer the west marches style i do prefer weekly DD mostly because mm. I do enjoy stories centered on like my like my specific character or a small specific oh, yeah. group specific group of characters for the sake of storytelling and character growth. West Marches is most certainly better for getting in D and D when you're available uh, on your own time, but also right. because the setting doesn't focus on one specific person or a small group of people. Sometimes your story doesn't get told in any expedience. It That's happens fair. very slowly yeah. over a long period of time. And I guess within within a West Marches thing... Sorry, one more question. <laughs> no, you're good, you're good. I guess within a West Marches thing, it's also... Or campaign. Do I call it campaign? Setting, I guess? Server? We call it a campaign, yeah. yeah. It can really also depend on the, the size of the group and the kind of story that you're running. For instance, yeah. I was thinking like, you could also just run duets and stuff in there, right? Oh, all the time. If you wanted to. All yeah. the time. Because then you could still have like a certain development if you're looking for a specific thing or a specific setting. You It doesn't have to be per se like a big group effort to make a story yeah. as part of it. That's dope. And duets are basically mm. just one player and a DM running a session together. Instead yeah. of, you know, three or four people as a adventure group, I guess it would be with just one player at the center. My favorite duets is when um, there's a small adventure being run for one character for the sake of character development. And it's happening through text. And 28 yeah. other people are watching it with popcorn. Oh, like, oh what's yeah. going to happen? What's going to happen next? So every post has like emojis and reactions. It's like, oh, I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you did that. <laughs> That's dope. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> It's That's like watching great. a movie and everybody's, and if it's like two very talented, like uh, role players or storytellers, you can see like, how dare you say something <laughs> like that? How yes. could you threaten my family? And you see like 20 popcorn emojis pop on. <laughs> it's very, very fun. <laughs> that sounds like the best vibe. Yeah. It's just like yeah. live fiction happening in front of you with people <laughs> and characters that you know. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. Um, but yeah, that's West Marches. Would recommend very pleasant experience. And just as a final note, it could be literally 10 people or 30 people, or I've seen hundreds of people playing on a singular campaign, a singular oh, setting. That would be Too intense, for I me, think. But yeah, but <laughs> I've seen it happen. 30 so. sounds like you still would be able to know every person, kind of, or yes, at least, you true. know, see people around and remember who, who they are. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I think, a nice requirement yeah. for stuff like this. Yeah, uh, It's a great thing to think about. Yeah. Anyway, that's the end of my topic. That's my spiel. I love it. I will very, very subtly go over to my topic because I think there's a perfect segue here. We've go been good it. at perfect segues, but this is a pretty good one. Mm -hmm. I'll just dive right in. I want to talk about the, <laughs> the way I wrote this down is the terror of the group. <laughs> By which I mean <laughs> the idea of a collective as a character. 
So there's certain ways where either the world or a big mass of people or a guild or, you know, mm. the people high up in the politics, just to name a few random examples, can feel like they have their own presence or identity. The classic example that I thought of is the witch hunt, right? The people with pitchforks that are basically trailing you and having this presence on the story. It's a pretty abstract topic, but I think it ties in nicely with the thing that you were mentioning about the group <laughs> effort and the way that, you know, no one owns a story and it feels like the group is a thing in itself almost. Love that. I think the group as a character has a very unique influence on a story. I wrote down a few examples from Dutch literature, which you probably haven't heard of, which is fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't know that. Try, know. try me. <laughs> try me. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Here goes nothing. Two of my favorite writers in Dutch are Renate Dorostein and Theo Thijssen. And both of them have written stories in which this idea of the group as an identity or as a character in itself is pretty present. So, for example, the book of Theo Thijssen is a pretty old school classic Dutch book, which is called Schoolland, Schoolland in Dutch. It's the mm. same. And it's basically just a school teacher telling us uh, stories of what happened in his little class. And it's very cute and nice. But throughout the story, what I loved most about it, it's not super out there. It's not pretty crazy. He's just like telling little tales of what happened in his school. But the way he describes the group, the class as being, you know, the class was very rowdy today or the class was very impatient with me, mm. you know, stuff like that really give it a different feel. Like, you know, all the individuals in the class, like, you know, the little girl and the shy one and the new kid. And, you know, he's describing all of them. But then the group as the collective, I guess, also has an identity or feels a certain way. The thing that I love about it is when it gives a certain presence in relationship to the individual to go back to the witch hunt mm. feel. Sometimes the enemy can be a collective in a way. When the whole city is against you, you know, how hard is it to sort of turn the tables on yourself and to prove that you're innocent, for instance? How do you even convince an entire group of something? Like there's all kinds of different things that you have to think about when you just have one person that's against you or one big, bad, evil person at the end of the mountain. <laughs> it's one mm -hmm, person mm -hmm. and it's a one-on-one -on -one discussion or, you know, fight, whatever, <laughs> whatever you end up with. But as a group, yeah. it's pretty hard to think of who to even convince or who who is the main, you know, like how to be able to turn this around or uh, change the way a group or a collective thinks about you. And I think that's a very unique thing to put in a story because it requires you as a character or player to think differently about who the enemy right. is because it's not really one person. I just want to talk a little bit about that and see if you have any cool ideas on it. Yeah, that's such an interesting topic. It kind of uh, reminds me of like group consensus or mob mm. psychology. Yeah. When you're dealing with the masses rather than a singular person, you kind of have to focus on like the broader ideas. You kind of have to like, um, what is something that multiple people will resonate with rather than focusing on the singular weaknesses mm -hmm. of just one yeah. person, right? I guess on this topic, I remember a very simplistic version of mob psychology was brought up in one of the books of A Series mm -hmm. of Unfortunate Events, where the three main characters... Um, in order to sway the greater opinion of the mob or the audience uh, during this specific situation, they planted themselves at different corners of the crowd and they would often yell out things and be in consensus with each other as a th as a trio. And the group in the center was like, oh, wait, if three people are agreeing on this, 
maybe we should do, you know? <laughs> like, uh, so they're kind of playing, playing yeah, on right. like rely on the people around you to have the right opinion. But yes, in, in your example, you're saying like a groups of people are like more terrifying, more intimidating or, or have to be approached in a different way. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, super interesting. I'm trying to think of examples and all I keep thinking of are like when armies are meeting oh, like right. on, on a battlefield of like Game of Thrones yeah. or Lord of the Rings and everybody is brought together for a very specific purpose. Even in those situations, they kind of rely on a singular spokesperson. But if you're just dealing with a mob of like hundreds or thousands, unless you're a fantastic speaker and or the main <laughs> character of the story, you kind of throw a conversation out the window. It's very, very difficult to grab the attention and the and persuade so, so many people. And that's kind of what makes it uh-huh. so yeah, intimidating. That's pretty right? true. And also the whole objective, I think of you know convincing or what that even means when you're talking about a group as Mm -hmm. the one who you should convince changes because it's not really you can't use the classic techniques that you would do when it would just be a discussion with one person i was thinking of the movie argo for example it's a really awesome one about i'm not gonna you know summarize this properly but i think the short version (laughs) is uh, that some american tourists i think are trapped in I think a Middle Eastern country, I forgot which one, Israel or something, suddenly can't get out because there's a bunch of riots and stuff and they got kidnapped or something like that. Mm. The whole movie is basically the CSI or FBI, (laughs) either one of them. I don't know, America, (laughs) I don't know how English countries work. (laughs) But I mean, one of those, you know, one one of those those, good old spy agencies, you know, their objective Uh, is to get the people back into America. Those those darn American spy agencies. Those usual spy agencies, yeah. (laughs) And the movie starts with one of the most amazing intros I've ever seen in a movie, which is the terrifying, very realistic footage of the riots that are happening outside of the embassy that these people are trapped in, I think. And the riots of, you know, the people on the streets that are fighting for their lives or, you know, either fighting or protesting, right? The movie feels very much part of this genre, I guess, that I'm describing because the whole mission basically talks about how do we get these people out there without literally the force of the people of this country that we're in blocking our way and stuff and how do we as right caucasian people that are obviously you know in appearance different from the locals here how do we get that done and the terror of that was specifically why it reminded me so much of this and i think the sort of grandness also of it makes it also right. very yes. interesting and terrifying in a in a very you know story-wise good fancy way mm-hmm. it also talks about peer pressure and stuff right and the sort of the opinion of you know the public which is, I guess, a whole different genre in itself. Yeah. Yeah. From a storytelling standpoint, the idea of a crowd or a mob or a group of people is typically solidarity in a single emotion or idea, right? You're boiling Mm. down a grand group of people with a whole lot of different lifestyles and opinions into one single binding point. And that's usually anger or fear or pride when it comes to like Mm -hmm. wars and stuff like that. Could be all kinds of things. Yeah, Yeah, or grief. Like it, it is too difficult from a storytelling standpoint to be like, we're sad <laughs> and hungry. Well, Actually, that's easy. That's, that's really yeah. easy. Um, <laughs> and, and we all live in duplexes and we all come from underground. Yeah, right. And, uh-huh. like, <laughs> and we all come from the same lineage. The more I say it, the more I'm disproving myself. But it's, it's very, 
you boil down of these complex people into singular concepts and you use that as a driving force to make Mm -hmm. action happen right like things have to be done to deal with these people or to handle these people or to address their concerns or satiate them whether it be like a number of people fighting at the front of a supermarket or like zombies (laughs) trying to tear Mm -hmm. down a tower it has to be solved right there's there's no there's no mob or crowd that is like we're good (laughs) we're We're respectful we're respectful (laughs) yeah we don't really need it we're gathering we're gathering for yoga and tai chi they exist you know but they're not you know the the most important group (laughs) gatherings i think they don't terrify people which is good (laughs) but maybe that's interesting for stories you know yeah (laughs) yeah it it's it's a force that is powerful. Yeah, for sure. Has a presence and has to be addressed. And sometimes, you know, right. even when you're part of a group, it made me think of like the idea of a mosh pit at a festival. Suddenly you're trapped in mm-hmm. this very aggressive people hitting on other people <laughs> and this mosh pit that you didn't want to be part of, but somehow you're part of the audience and suddenly you're trapped in it. That's a very literal example, of course, but the group sweeping you up or hyping things up can also lead to things that in the end kind of nobody wanted to. It reminded me of that specific scene in in West Side Story, uh, trigger warnings for, you know, sexual violence slash assault. There's one scene in the musical movie West Side Story where one of the Puerto Rican girls, one of the main characters, Anita, is assaulted by one of the main friend groups in the the story. Mm. They find themselves in this situation that's like super high stake and super tense. These are young kids, so they're also, mm. I guess, emotionally <laughs> not super completely adult-like developed. Yeah, I mean, that's Together. not a reason for a sexual <laughs> assault, obviously, but there's a lot of tension in this scene. And suddenly, because the stakes mm. are high, there's a lot going back and forth, and they they're weren't really on good terms anyway. Suddenly, one starts with being like a little pushy, and then another one starts to shout real loud and you know they're kind of hyping each other up and before they all know it they're sort of in this scene of you know where they're really touching and etc this girl and then when suddenly an adult comes in they all snap out of it and they've realized what they almost were doing and it's really a super intense scene because you realize how quickly a group can become can feel to emotion yeah can sort of persuade or can feel bigger or larger than the individuals because not not one of them was actually Mm. planning on doing that and afterwards you see how remorseful they are about what happened they don't really say it but you know there's a very big gloomy (laughs) presence in all the scenes after and the group really sometimes becomes it can sweep up so much that before you know it the individuals don't really matter and it's sort of this collective thing that it's suddenly its own identity or its own action in itself, which is, yeah, wild. The concept of the individual in a chaotic situation mm-hmm. is used all the time as in like everything around you is crazy, is wild. And are you going to join it or are you going to preserve yeah. your own safety or are you going to try to keep your individualism in the in the idea or this concept that surrounds you on all sides? Chaotic. <laughs> like, is, is it safer for you to join the people around you in what's happening or are you trying mm. to separate yourself for your greater morals or a greater purpose? Well, you think of like literally anything that happens on Black Friday when, <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, when Walmart gets mobbed and everybody's Crazy. grabbing everything. And the only way you're going to come out with anything is if you become yeah. just like the mob and grab exactly what you need and fight yeah. for it tooth and nail uh, as a real world parallel. Obviously, it becomes more intense, like you said, in, in stories where people get swept up in these things or, or situations where a singular gun shot goes off and everybody's suddenly in fight or flight mode and things get very very dangerous very quickly it's something very primal also i mean not always 
you know, we've been talking about negative examples of this phenomenon, I guess. But there's mm -hmm. also, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is also a very Western concept of like individualism being more important than the group. But I think in lots of Asian countries, it's kind of the other way around that the group is the, or the family, you know, is the main thing. And then the individual comes second. So it's also, you can also be part of a group in a healthy way, of course. Mm -hmm. But I think what we're talking about now is more the sort of survival. They're really, you know, stakes are high, chaotic, decide now or be swept up by it moments, right? Yeah, it's a powerful concept. And I think um, the ability for the main character or the protagonist of any story to separate themselves from the greater majority of people and or lead these people into mm. um, something that benefits the greater good uh, is a powerful storytelling tool. It's incredibly useful. Yeah. And it happens a lot. Like if you, I think if you've ever watched Game of Thrones, you think of these leaders in oh, front of yeah. masses uh, and they all have to take charge and make sure that history goes their way. And that means swaying the greater majority. That means gaining social status yeah. and appeasing the people. I mean, it's very political also, right? This topic, like it's mm -hmm. almost impossible to talk about it without talking about democracies or because countries, of course, have to, well, have to. I guess the way that most countries are ruled <laughs> are based on the group's opinion. The individual's making a decision and then as a result, the group has a favor or a, mm -hmm. a preference for a certain person to lead or a certain, you know, side of the argument, etc. It's also really about manipulation and about hierarchy within like a, a structure of power. It's yeah, it's super complicated and interesting. Yeah. Like once you start turning mobs and crowds into nations and cities and peoples, then, you know, the, the topic stretches for miles and miles. Mm, you know? Yeah. So many things you could address there. <laughs> and also in general, you know, like civilization is, of course, a very nice, educated term of just a group. <laughs> you know, like where's the line even? <laughs> it's, like, it's just a group. It's just a group. We're not too far off. You know, we're very organized and we have like nice political structures in place now, I guess, depending on what you find nice. But, you know, the line between a crowd starting to roar or fight for its independence, human rights and stuff, <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the boundary is very thin at times. And I think that's uh, aside from the real world, you know, results of that. I think it's an interesting thing to think about. It's a big topic. Yeah. Yes. It's a big topic. And maybe we'll save the rest of that for <laughs> another day. Yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> All right. Um, with those topics out of the way, usually we wrap up these. Um, well, always we wrap up these topics yeah, with a prompt. It's a thing. I'm going to give a prompt to Marilyn. She's going to improvise how this mm -hmm. plays out. Mm -hmm. Stretch kind my improv muscles. Yes. All right. Let's let's start with a couple of ad lib questions. Give me a environment. Oh, okay. Like a, nat like a natural environment. Give, give, give me one natural environment. Okay. Um, let's say... The Arctic, like tundra. Sure, the Arctic. Uh, give me one major landmark. It doesn't even have to be congruous to the Arctic. Okay, there's two stones that are almost forming a bridge, but not quite over like a cavern or something. And it's like this, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't go off already. It's like <laughs> this thing where very daring, bored teenagers that live in the middle of nowhere just try to jump from one stone to the other. Sure. That's it. <laughs> okay, perfect. We're going to take that landmark and we're going to take that environment and here is the prompt. Mm, bring it on. There is, in, in keeping with the themes we've talked about today, there is a group of people who've resolved themselves to living specifically around this landmark. Okay. And for reasons you will explain in this prompt, <laughs> they have to journey out into this environment that you've set for reasons. What are the <laughs> reasons they're living here and why are they journeying out? Okay. So we've established that the landmark is these two the stone the two stone bridge. <laughs> Am I understanding this correctly? Yes. 
And the greater region is the Arctic. Okay, interesting. All right, help me paint this group of people, as we've talked about in the second prompt, the journey onto this greater world, which we've talked about in the first prompt. Uh -huh. <laughs> Tying it all together. Yes, yes, perfect wrap up. Okay, here goes nothing. This group mm -hmm. is rather small. It's not a very large collective, to put it nicely. Partly because it's really fucking cold here. You need to be like... <laughs> serious about your destination if you really want to do this so anyone that joined this group is very devoted to um to living here at least ready to i guess face the the challenges of this very cold desolate place right there's one leader here who kind of rallied these people <laughs> together in search for a holy relic that is supposedly part of this environment somewhere in the middle of nowhere there's mm. this one kind of holy stone or landmark that is representative of the presence of a new god that this leader person is very devoted to and i guess they found it guess they found the rock <laughs> it's a pretty cool rock you know and specifically this community has been so desperate for any reason to be out here that any rock that looks pretty holy is good enough for them oh, you know this was a solid long ass trip <laughs> And during these months and months of just empty, empty, snowy desert, mm -hmm. they've started to doubt themselves, you know, if this was the right course of action for their lives. <laughs> and it almost <laughs> wasn't. But then they found the two stone bridge and they were so happy about it that this is basically <laughs> where they're just chilling now. This has been the goal of their journey, of their spiritual journey, I dare say. Mm -hmm. And that's why they're here. <laughs> Gosh, I love that. They <laughs> this has been like some time ago. So this journey is at this point like a historic thing that they tell around the campfire, etc. They've been living here for a while. They were kind of done with the travel, the traveling <laughs> took took a lot of <laughs> took a lot out of them, you know. It's it's good mm -hmm. to just like settle for a sec. So there's been years and years passing by. People got married, they got kids, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And um these kids have been in this community or town, whatever you want to call it, this little group of people mm -hmm. for a good second and they don't know any better. But, you know, when the parents are hunting or whatever they're doing, I don't know what they're doing all day. <laughs> they've been real, <laughs> real fucking bored. So, you know, there's not a lot to do here. As I said, it's super desolate and like really Valid. not great to raise kids in. But, you know, they're here now and they're for the life of them not going to leave this fucking rock they took so long to find, you know. <laughs> so mm -hmm. these kids are kind of hanging around. They're too young to be like, to really be a part of the grown-ups yet, you know, they're not strong enough to hunt any of the, well, whatever lives here, polar bears, <laughs> I don't know. Um, maybe not, that's not nice for the environment. Of the snow squirrels, which is definitely a real animal that I'm not making up right now. Mm -hmm. Of course, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Famously. <laughs> uh -huh. So they've been real fucking bored, and they're like, all this out here to do is just hang around this rock. What's so cool about this rock anyway? And then they realize that it's really, it's almost cool enough to be a bridge, but it's not even a bridge. <laughs> These kids are almost big enough to like jump from one rock to the other, but they're not really, they're a little bit too scared about it yet, or their legs are a little too small. <laughs> so they're like, what if we just like find a bunch of wood and just make it an actual bridge? Because then at least we can like run around. We have a project because we're so fucking bored. There's nothing to do about here. So, you know, they journey out. They attempt to find trees which is not a thing in the arctic so you know amazing it's a mission in itself it seems pretty doomed <laughs> yeah it's pretty doomed but you know this is desperate times desperate measures you know and they found like a bush or something i don't know it's pretty far away and as the grown-ups return and realize that 
there's like a lot of kids missing now. <laughs> and, you know, oh, no. I don't really know where, where they went. Like, where could they have even gone? There's literally only this rock and like a bunch of tents. So the mission is basically to find out what these fuckers are up to <laughs> and make sure they don't freeze in the cold. And uh, in the meantime, maybe also realize that the holy rock that they've been uh, devoted to mm-hmm. is just a rock after all. It's just a rock. And the kids are like, you know, should we really hang around this rock all the time? Like, you know, it's kind of kind of boring. So I guess that's a mission. Yeah. I love the I love the concept of <laughs> we search the Arctic for a rock. And when we finally found one, we said, good enough. <laughs> yeah, basically. And we yeah. set up camp. <laughs> Collective consciousness, you know, it's for the so, greater good. So exhausted from traveling. This will do. Yeah. <laughs> this rock will do. This is the one, right? This is definitely the one. You have to one. understand because, you know, this leader has been promising people like holy spiritual awakening and journeys. And, <gasps> you know, it, it's, it will take some time to get used to the Arctic, but it's all worth it because in the end, we will find this relic, this promised landmark that we've, uh, that I've seen in my dreams or whatever, <laughs> whatever people say to get people behind them. So if they really don't want to lose face, they got to say that this is the rock. <laughs> Because otherwise, you know, what's it all been for? These people are going to be real angry if there's literally nothing, nothing going on. And they've just been on this journey for no reason whatsoever. And they've been cold and hungry and tired, you know. (laughs) Guys, if we don't convince Henry that this is the rock, we're going to be dying out there. Yeah. He's got to be convinced this is the rock for our own sakes. Okay, everybody together. Yeah, this is the rock, right? Okay. Wow. Wow. What a rock. Whoa, look at that, Henry. It's not one, but two It's rocks. so holy. Yeah. That's more than one. I know, That's right? Crazy. Yeah, exactly. And Henry's like, Henry's like, yeah, 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 this is the one. This is the rock, guys. Uh-huh. Guys, this is the rock. Yep. Um, and, I, and I'd like a subversion of the plot eventually that they, they, they do find a holy rock out there and they're like, dang. Oh, the actual one. Over here. <laughs> oh, shit. And it's like yeah. a couple miles away. It's like glowing and, and stuff and like super white and yeah. pretty and like. Yeah. They've there's built this one own. patch of sunlight through the endless cloudy skies. There's one opening yeah. that shines on this rock and there's like angels calling in their brains right. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then it's it's the it's the kids that are looking for wood. There's like a singular tree next to it. And they're like, oh, cool. <laughs> wood. They take the wood and they leave. Yeah. Yeah. No one ever <laughs> Just knows leave about the this. rock behind. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody ever learns about it. <laughs> or it's like one of these random hunting parties that find themselves upon this rock. And they're like, are you hearing like holy angels singing in your brain? And they're like, nope, nope. Got, nope. Sorry. It's a. Uh, Let's let's not talk about this ever. And they'll just go back. I just built my igloo. I spent all of my life saving yep. on it. We're not moving. not having this. This is not. This <laughs> yeah. is not the holy rock. Yeah, I refuse. Yeah, let's <laughs> not talk about yes. this ever. Maybe like put a bunch of snow on it so it doesn't glow so much. Yeah. Yeah, we just got central heating set up. Please, no we more. We can't have rocks. another rock. We can't move. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 All kinds of problems arising from this prompt. <laughs> I do love that. That is a fantastic prompt. Okay, cool. <laughs> hey. Um, <laughs> thanks for tuning into the podcast. Yeah. I guess. Uh, and yeah, um, for everyone listening, please, please tune in to Your Rivers Are Wrong episode 30 live in the Netherlands. Whoop, whoop. Uh, it is going to be so, so cool. Um, before this, obviously, listen to the special guest podcast of Marilyn and Cherry. Ah, yes. I believe that'll be episode 28.5, which will be up mm-hmm. by the time this podcast is up. <laughs> Yes. But of course, until then. Oh, yeah, there's this one thing. Uh, as you build these worlds and tell these stories, there's one thing you always, always have to remember. What is it, Dante? Your rivers are wrong. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they're pretty wrong. Have a good one. <laughs>
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Your Rivers Are Wrong. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes that you'd like to hear us cover, feel free to contact us at yourriversarewrong at gmail.com. Our intro and outro music is written by Maarten Schellekens. Thanks for that. And again, thank you so much for listening. We hope to see you at the next one.